Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Good to see y'all. Well, welcome to week number two in our series called Money Matters. Now, over these next few weeks, we hope to continue to uncover principles related to our money and our finances that will help us to live financially free. If you're a guest here, please know that uh, we don't talk about money all the time, but we do have a reason why we're talking about it this month. And as I stated last week, it's not God's will for any of us to live in any kind of bondage, and that includes financial bondage, right? Free. He wants us to be free from addictions, from depression, from abuse, from toxic relationships, from demonic strongholds. Why shouldn't we also learn how to live financially free? Amen. That's my desire. Now, last week we talked about what money is and what its role is in our lives. By the way, if you're watching online, bless you. Good to have you with us online as well. But today I want to dig into one of the main things that causes financial stress in our lives. And here's our text for today. It's a verse that we also read last week. It comes from Matthew 6, verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then notice the last part of the verse. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, I want to share another verse with you that kind of connects these verses together. It's from Proverbs 22 and verse 7 in the Old Testament. And it says this, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, don't miss the connection here. Notice these verses. In the Old Testament, it tells us that the borrower is a slave to the lender. And in the New Testament, Jesus said, you can't serve God and what? Be enslaved to money. So please don't miss that connection. Borrowing or debt is the way that we become enslaved to money. Anytime I borrow money, I become a slave to the lender because I've got to repay Anything I borrow and I have to repay on their schedule. They don't care if you get sick. They don't care if you lose your job. They want their money back and they want it back with interest. So if debt is what puts us into bondage, I want us to tackle that subject today. And we're not only going to tackle it today, we're going to tackle it next week as well in a two-part message here today that I want to call digging out of debt. Digging out of debt, amen? Now, you might say, well, I came here to hear a spiritual message today. I don't want you to talk about that. Folks, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more spiritual than helping you get out of mental, come on, emotional, physical, and spiritual bondage. Amen? And that's what the world's economic system has placed so many believers under, and that's bondage. So, let's talk about it today. The dictionary defines debt as money that a person is obligated to pay to another. Now, debt would include money that's owed to credit card companies, bank loans, money that you borrow from relatives, your home mortgage, even past due medical bills can be considered debt. Now, bills that come in on a regular basis 
For goods and services, for example, your, uh, your electric bill or your phone bill or your weekly grocery bill, those kind of things, they're not considered debt in the same sense of the word if you pay those things on time. Now, make no mistake, though, debt is not your friend. Amen. Not only does it cause financial stress, there's a physical cost to debt as well. Debt continues uh, and contributes to mental fatigue, uh, physical fatigue, emotional fatigue. It stifles our creativity. It, it affects our relationships. A lot of people, they will raise their lifestyle through debt only to discover that the burden of that debt then controls their lifestyle, right? Many have created this financial mos monster that if you don't feed it, it is going to feed on you. Amen. And debt is nothing new to us. We are a nation in debt. By the way, it should be no surprise to us that so many of us are in such heavy debt because our favorite uncle, Uncle Sam, <laughs> is not setting a very good example. Amen. As of Wednesday of this week, our national debt stands at $31.54 trillion. Now, see, those numbers are so astronomical that we can't even understand those numbers. By the way, the national debt is the amount of money the federal government has borrowed to cover the outstanding balance of expenses that our country has incurred over time. And by the way, that means that's money they've borrowed to pay for stuff that they can't pay for. In any given fiscal year when spending, which the government spends money on a lot of things, the military, highways, social programs, you name it, when spending exceeds revenue, and how many of you know revenue is just a fancy word for taxes, right? When government spending exceeds revenue, a budget deficit results. Now, by the way, let me just throw this in here real quick. This is not a political party problem. Republicans and Democrats equally are to blame for this problem. In America, amen? Because there's not a lot of politicians that are committed to a balanced budget. And the reason I'm taking time to share and mention the national debt is because I think we have become so conditioned to hearing about debt and debt ceilings and, and not seeing any consequences, real consequences, for reckless spending. Let me tell you, the consequences are coming down the road. Our kids and our grandkids are going to uh, pay for this. Somebody shared with me a statistic in between services. I already forgot the amount they told me. But our kids are going to pay for this down the road. But the problem is the same thing that's happening to our country is happening to our families. People are spending with no real regard to the consequences. Take, for example, the total credit card debt in America right now is a record $930.6 billion. That's 18.5% more credit card debt than this time last year. Amen? The average family in America has $5,805 of credit card debt. Now, you might say, well, that's not very much. That's no big deal. It really is a big deal. Because, hear me, at nearly 20% interest, which is the average uh, annual percentage rate of credit cards in the United States, if you make the minimum payments toward that credit card balance, take a guess how long it will take you to pay it off. Yeah, 17 years. And then not only do you pay the 5800 off, you pay another 8200 in interest. Let me read our verse again and see if it makes more sense to you now. Proverbs 22 and 7. The rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is a slave to the lender. It's true. 
Folks, hear me. If that does not sound like bondage, I don't know what is. We have so much personal debt in our country, and I love this little illustration. Somebody said, here's what the average person has been described as. Someone who drives on a bond-financed highway in a bank-financed car, fueled by credit card-purchased gasoline, going to buy furniture on an installment plan to put in a mortgage-financed home. That kind of sums up America, doesn't it? Folks, we're drowning in a sea of debt. And with all this credit floating around, we have some serious financial casualties around us. Hundreds of thousands of people file bankruptcy every year, not to mention what it does to marriages. Data released by the financial firm uh, Ameritrade, TD Ameritrade, found that 41% of divorced Gen Xers, all the Gen Xers, give me a holler. Amen, I'm a Gen Xer. That means if you were born between 1965 and 1980. Let me hear from you. Amen. All right. 41% of Gen Xers said that they ended, the divorced Gen Xers, they ended their marriage due to disagreements about money. 29% of boomers, all the boomers lift your canes in the air. Amen. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Amen. 29% of the boomers that were divorced, they said the same thing. It was over money. See, the financial tension that we live in, folks, we think it's normal. But it's not. It was created by the world system of buy now and pay later, and it is a lie that has been pushed on consumers. Amen? Now, we all know that there's nothing easy about making those monthly payments because advertisers don't tell us the whole truth. People never really sit down and ponder the amazing power of interest. By the way, if somebody were to ask you, what are the most powerful forces at work in your life? Most of us would answer that question with things like this. Love, you know, or maybe hate, hope, prayer, church, community. But very few people would think to put compound interest anywhere near their top 10. But really, we should. Because if you ever get on the wrong side of the power of interest, it can destroy your life. Compounding interest is the most powerful, one of the most powerful forces on the earth. And being on that wrong, wrong side can, can make a wreck financially in your life. J. Reuben Clark, who was a prominent attorney and later he served in the United States government, he said this about interest and debt, and I quote. He said, once you're in debt, interest becomes your companion every minute of the day and night, and it's working against you. It has no love, no sympathy. It is as hard and soulless as a granite cliff, and you cannot dismiss it. Whenever you get in its way or cross its course or fail to meet its demands, it crushes you. That's so true. But folks, hear me. If you're on the right side of the power of interest, it can also be one of your greatest friends. It can multiply your meager savings in remarkable ways. It can add value to your investments. It can pay you generous monthly checks when you retire. And depending upon what side of the interest equation you're on, interest can be your greatest enemy or your best friend. So today and next week, I want to talk to you about the wrong side of the interest divide debt. My goal is to help us get on the right side of the equation. So let me just tell you what I'm going to talk about these next two weeks. Today, I'm going to share with you some reasons to say no to debt. And next week, I'm going to show you several ways to dig out of debt and how to save some money. How many of you would like to do that? Amen. Amen. And if you're not in debt, how many of you'd like to stay out of debt? Come on, somebody. In fact, I hope that today and next week, some of you will say to yourself, this month marks the season of my life where I say no to the insanity of debt. All right, now, 
Before I get into the reasons to say no to debt, let me answer a question some of you are probably asking. Is debt ever okay? Well, the answer is yes in some cases. Sometimes we have to say yes to debt. Now, I'm not a financial advisor, so you ought to talk to a financial advisor. But here's the general rule of thumb, and you might want to write this down if you're taking notes. Borrowing is okay if the economic return tends to be greater than the economic cost. Let me say that again. Borrowing is okay if the economic return is greater than the economic cost. Now, in other words, if borrowing has some kind of appreciating asset element to it, it's okay. Now, what kind of debt passes the test? Well, unfortunately, not many. <laughs> Let me share with you three, three things that do pass the test. Mortgage debt, you can say check mark to that. Investment debt, check mark to that. Educational debt, eh, put a question mark next to that one. All right, I'm going to help you with that too, okay? It might be a check mark, it might not. First of all, let's talk about mortgage debt. I think a home mortgage debt, a home mortgage is a debt that is worth making. And I'm not just telling you that because I sell real estate, but I want to tell you, you're going to need a place to live your entire life, so you might as well work toward living in something that belongs to you instead of someone else. Amen? I tell people this all the time when they're considering getting a house. Everybody pays a mortgage. You either pay yours or your landlord's. It's the truth. Amen? And when you're ready to retire, wouldn't it be great to not have to pay a mortgage payment or not have to pay rent? If you own a home or plan to purchase one in the future, buy a house that you can afford and try to pay it off quicker than scheduled. Now, I'm not going to go into specific details about this this morning, but hear me. You can take years and thousands of dollars off of your mortgage if you just make the equivalent of one extra principal payment per year. Now, if you don't believe me, call your mortgage company, ask them for an amortization schedule, and they will show you. Add a little principal to your payment every month and watch the, the, the return long-term down the road. And folks, I want to encourage you, if you don't own a home, make buying a house a priority. It is one of the only appreciating debts you're ever going to incur. And even if, now don't miss this, I've had people tell me this before. Well, how do you know? What if a house loses its value? Who cares? If you pay for it, it's yours. You own it. Who cares how much equity you have in it? you got a place to live when you're old. Amen. It's important. Rent is a bill that stays with you till the day you die. And you know what else is great about a house that's paid for? You have an asset to leave to your children when you're gone. That can change their lives. Your house is your future. Amen. And by the way, let me give you another piece of, now this isn't in the Bible, this is just some good advice. Don't keep refinancing your house just to pay off consumer debt. Now notice I didn't say investment debt, I said consumer debt. Investment debt, that's another strategy, I'm not getting into all that today. But if you're just constantly refinancing your house to pay off your car payments and your credit card payments, you're never going to get ahead. Your house is not an 1,800 square foot credit card. <laughs> Amen. That equity is there to help you down the road. So don't squander your hard-earned equity. Everybody say mortgage debt. Let me tell you about another kind of debt that's okay, and that's investment debt. 
It's also acceptable debt because it pays dividends if you invest wisely or you invest in a business that will bring economic returns greater than the economic cost. And, but you should speak to a financial advisor about it because, hear me, investment debt carries with it a risk. You've got to be, you got to know what your risk tolerance is because with investment debt, you can lose it all. Amen? So you just need to know that going in. But now let's talk about student loan debt. That's a hot topic right now, isn't it? Most student loan debt does carry with it a return on investment if, everybody say if, if you do something with your education and you don't get a master's degree in basket weaving. Come on. If you're going to go into debt to get a college education, get a degree that you can get a decent paying job with. Can the church say amen? People say, oh, well, I want to pursue my dream. Well, I hope your dream includes food and shelter because you're going to need it. Amen. Also, hear me. Don't believe the lie that you have to get a college degree to get a good job. Come on. Because I'm going to tell you, the workforce and pay scales have changed dramatically in our world. Amen. There are plenty of jobs and trades and industries that do not require a college education. They pay well. Some of those jobs pay better than college-educated people have. Come on. There's no shame in working a job that does not require a college degree. Amen. So pray. And by the way, you don't have student loan debt with those jobs either. So you need to pray about your future before you saddle yourself with tons, tons of student loan debt. Now, let's talk about one that is a big question mark for a lot of people. Are you ready? Car loans. Now, that's a tough one because it's impossible to live today without a car, right? But hear me, the moment you drive a car off the lot, it does not create an economic return because it loses a lot of its value. Now, it does allow you to have an economic result if you're driving that car to work. Let me give you some statistics that might surprise you. According to bankrate.com, the average monthly car payment for a new car is $700. Yeah, that's what I did when I heard. The average monthly car payment for used cars is $525. That's not cheap, amen? 38% of consumers in the third quarter of 2022 bought new vehicles. 61% of consumers financed used vehicles in the third quarter of 2022. Folks, that is a lot of car loans floating around out there. Now, how do you escape the car loan trap? Now, this is advice that I heard when I was a young man years ago. I think it was from Larry Burkett. Uh, I can't believe, how many of you know who Larry Burkett is? He was old school before there was Dave Ramsey. Amen, there was Larry Burkett. Here's what Larry Burkett said. He said, if you want to avoid a car payment, first you got to save up enough money to buy a cheap car that you can pay cash for. Now, Larry Burkett didn't say this, but I'll say, you need to drive a hoopty. (laughs) Come on, somebody. You need to drive a car that only you are proud of. Amen. (laughs) There's no shame in that. You know what the best kind of car is? One that's paid for and runs, right? Amen. I'm getting a little help right here. Some hand clapping by the babies. Amen. Amen. Decide in advance you're going to keep that car as long as you can while you're doing what? Saving money to try to buy a better car. Pay a car payment each month to yourself. Well, how do you do that? You open up a savings account. You pay yourself a car payment, and you save the money. Amen. 
You say, well, what do you do if you already have a car payment? I'm going to help you out too. Keep that car. Decide right now you're going to keep that car for at least three years after your car is paid off. What do you do? You keep making that car payment to yourself. You put it in the bank just like you're sending it off to Chase right now. And you put it in the bank and you save the money and you keep driving your old car until you finally get to a place where hopefully you can buy a better car without credit. Now, it might not be a new car, but it might be just a little bit better hoopty than the one you're in right now. <laughs> so do it. You know, we love our cars, don't we? But you know what the reality is? Our cars are too much of a status symbol in our country, more than they are just an object of transportation. So be content to drive something that's not necessarily brand new if it will give you financial peace. Amen. Now, let's jump right in. I've used about half my time. Let me quickly share with you nine reasons to say no to debt. Here's reason number one. The Bible discourages debt. Those of you who wanted something spiritual, here it comes. Romans 13, 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. See, Scripture doesn't say debt is a sin, but it does discourage debt. Listen to the first portion of Romans 13 and 8 from some other versions of the Bible. I just read it to you in the, in the New Living Translation. King James, owe no man anything. NIV, let no debt remain outstanding. New King James, owe no one anything. The Living Bible, pay all your debts. Amplify Bible, keep out of debt and owe no man anything. Folks, if you read the Bible from cover to cover, you would find it has a very dim view of debt of any kind, really. It uses strong cautionary terms whenever debt is mentioned. Proverbs 22, 26 and 27 says this, do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. Did you know this is talking about co-signing? Look at verse 27. If you lack the means to pay, guess what's going to happen? Your bed <laughs> is going to be snatched from under you. It's warning you. you got to be careful about these things. So, first of all, the Bible says no to debt. Secondly, number two, debt is considered slavery. Now, I've already talked about this a little bit. But look at Proverbs 22 and 7 again. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Folks, when we are in debt, we don't like to think of it this way. We are in a position of servitude to the lenders. And the deeper you are in debt, the more like a servant we become. We don't have the freedom to decide where to spend our income because our money is already obligated to meet these debts. Hear me. Every time you sign up for more debt, hear me, you are giving away a slice of your freedom to a creditor. You are. And by the way, I'm okay with the uncomfortable silence in the room. <laughs> because I know sometimes we struggle with this. When we have more creditors, guess what? When they say jump, we say how high. We also say how high is the interest rate, <laughs> right? They say pay me first. And guess what your creditors will do? They don't care what's going on with the rest of your life. They don't want to hear your hard luck stories. They don't care if, if, if you don't pay on time, they will put a lien on what you have. If you don't pay them in full, guess what? They will even garnish your wages. Man, I'm telling you what, that is hostile. <laughs> Talk about being a slave to the lender. Amen. That is the spirit of indebtedness. And folks, hear me. When you enslave yourself to it, you give up freedom. 
Freedom that Christ bought for you on the cross. Don't miss this verse, 1 Corinthians 7, 23. God paid a high price for you. So what? Don't be enslaved by the world. People, please don't miss this verse. That's why I'm teaching this today. God paid a high price for our freedom. Don't be enslaved by the world. You know, see, sometimes we have the wrong understanding of what the world is. We think the world is just drinking and sleeping around, lying, cheating, stealing. We think the world is ungodly performances by, by artists on the Grammys. Come on. We think that's the world. That's all part of the world. But hear me. That's not all there is to the world. The world is the value system that is countercultural to God's kingdom living in your life. And it greatly, the finances and how we handle our money is greatly fueled by the thinking of this world. And it's all the things that the world uses to trip us up from living for God to our fullest potential. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice by dying on the cross for us. He does not want us to give up our freedom. Amen. Number three, third reason to say no to debt. Debt was considered a curse in the Bible. In the Old Testament, being out of debt was one of the promised rewards for obedience. Look at Deuteronomy 28. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Here's a few of them. Verse 12. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse, verse 12, the storehouse of his bounty to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. How? If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them. What's going to happen? I love this. You will always be at the top and never at the bottom. Come on. Hallelujah. You'll be the lender, not the borrower. You'll be the head, not the tail. You'll be at the top, not the bottom. That is the blessing of obedience. Amen. However, debt was one of the curses that's mentioned. Deuteronomy 28, 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Verse 43. The foreigners who reside among you will rise above you higher and higher, but you will sink lower and lower. They will lend to you, but you will not lend to them. They will be the head, but you will be the tail. See, folks, debt was always considered a curse, and it was looked on in a negative light in the Scripture. So here we go. What are the reasons to say no to debt? Number one, Bible discourages debt. Number two, debt is considered slavery. Number three, debt was considered a curse. Here's the reason number four. Debt obligates you to keep on earning money. (laughs) Folks, when you are really in debt, my friends, you better earn money. You better earn it consistently. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. And then when I get off at five, I go to my part-time job at seven. And I work from seven to 11. And then on Saturday, I go to my third job, and I pull an eight-hour shift. You know why? Because I better keep earning that money. You better keep bringing in that cheddar, amen, if you're heavily in debt. Does everybody remember just a few years ago when everything went on COVID lockdown? Two weeks to flatten the curve. They turned into two years, amen? Remember that? Remember when people had to miss time from work at the beginning? 
A lot of people were blessed. They were fortunate enough to have jobs that, that paid them. And thank God for all the people that worked for people that were able to take care of their employees like that. But a lot of people didn't have that luxury. And folks, a lot of people went into absolute panic. And I'm going to tell you, it was a little bit of a surprise to me. We had people calling us after one week. And they were in, a, in an absolute panic because they had missed one paycheck. People were going to banks. They were going to relatives. They were going to loved ones to borrow money because they missed one check. They started running up their credit cards. People stopped paying their rent. I remember thinking, nobody is laughing at Dave Ramsey right now about the emergency fund. Right? Y'all remember that? Get you an emergency fund, blah, blah, blah. And man, he harps on it. He annoys people. He talks about it so much. Stuff. But nobody was laughing then. And folks, we see it all the time. You better keep making the money if you've got the debt. We see celebrities do it. The pressure to keep earning. A lot of times you'll see guys, what? They, they drop out of sports and a few years later they're selling their Super Bowl rings. Man, they're selling their trophies. And you're like, what's going on? It's because these guys stopped earning and they had so much debt, now they're having to get rid of stuff that means a lot to them. You see boxers coming out of retirement because they're broke and they're bankrupt. And they are in no physical condition to be going back into the ring again. Because when you're nose deep in debt, any little ripple of disruption to your earnings is life-threatening. Now hear me, I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm not here to make you feel bad. But I want to tell you, when you have no savings or emergency fund, it changes your life. You still got to go to work when you're sick. When your debt is greater than your income, you often have to work multiple jobs. You can't breathe. You can't take a vacation. Nobody wants to live that way. Hear me, that is a pressure that you are not meant by God to have to bear. I talk to people all the time that are working two or three jobs, and, and I say, man, that must take a, a big toll on you and your family. You know what they say? I'm doing it to pay off debt. I'm doing it to pay off debt. Man, what a terrible way to have to live. Debt does that to you. It obli obligates you to keep on working. And work is a good thing. I'm going to talk about work on our last week. Keep on earning. That's okay. But you don't have to, you know, uh, remember the old saying, what do you get when you work your fingers through the bone? Bony fingers. <laughs> you don't want to end up that way at the end of your life. And here's another reason we need to say no to excessive debt and one that's directly tied to this thing about working and earning all the time. Number five, debt will steal your joy. It steals your joy. I mean, you tell me, how do you really get to enjoy a dinner out or a weekend away or a vacation when you are up to your eyeballs in debt, right? How can you go out and just buy new clothes and shoes when you can't even pay off your credit cards? Unless you are self-medicating by retail therapy, hear me, which is not good, right? Or maybe you're just an extremely irresponsible person, or maybe you're just so totally numb to it all now. Hear me, every purchase you make, every gift you buy, every dime you spend, there's this little painful stab in your conscience, right? Now, you might say to yourself, well, I ought to be paying off debt, and here I am, I'm just, I'm just adding to the problem. How can you lead a joyful life when you're just sinking further and further into debt? Debt robs us of that joy. People might say, Pastor, you, you're just being too hard on everybody. No, no, no. I, I think maybe you're just being too soft on yourself. Can I say something in love right now? We cannot be okay with continuing to dig the hole deeper and deeper and deeper that we're in. Because you're going to make life really hard for yourself and for your children. 
For most of us, it's hard to enjoy those things in life when you're consumed with debt worries. Debt will steal your joy. Here's another reason to say no to debt. Number six, debt steals your giving opportunities. Now, I know this is an important one to most Christians. When you're a committed Christian, it's not unusual for God to put in your heart compassion to people and organizations that need help. You might want to help others, and you want to help maybe a family member or a friend or somebody in the church, or maybe you hear about a missionary and you want to do something, and you want to be generous, but you can't because debt stole that from you. One of the most popular stories in the Bible is the story of the Good Samaritan. Many of you, if you're Christians, you probably know the story. But if you don't know the story, it's real simple. There was this guy. He was beat up. He was robbed. He was laying in a ditch. And some religious leaders come walking by. And every one of them walked past him. None of them try to help them. And then there's this Good Samaritan that comes by. And he takes this guy. And, and he, uh, he takes him and he gets him help. And we always celebrate the compassion of the Good Samaritan. But hear me, we shouldn't just applaud his compassion. We ought to also applaud his money management skills. I'm going to tell you why. Think about it. He takes this guy. He gets him help. He pays for him to get bandaged up. He covers his costs, and he takes him to an innkeeper. And then he says this, let him stay here and however long he needs to stay. And when I come back in town, I'll pay the bill. Man, what a guy, right? Compassion and resources. We need to applaud both of those elements in his life because debt so often will steal our giving opportunities. We just had our Kingdom Builder Sunday a few weeks ago, and some of you, you, you wanted to give, but you felt like, man, I just wrote, I can't commit to it because I'm fighting the battle of debt. And that's what debt does. It steals those giving opportunities. It's really hard to give to others when the pocketbook is empty, right? Some of us want to give more or help others more, but debt is stealing those chances to give. That's another good reason to say no to excessive debt. Here's another thing. I'm almost done, guys. Seventh reason you want to say no to debt. Debt assumes we're always going to have tomorrow. Debt makes that assumption. When we get into debt, we're assuming we're going to earn enough and we're going to be around long enough to pay off the debt. We assume we're going to live long enough to get things paid off. We plan for our jobs to continue or maybe our income to stay the same, if not better. We assume our businesses are going to do well or our investments are going to be profitable. But Scripture cautions us against presuming too much about tomorrow. Look what James 4 and 13 said. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we're going to stay there a year. We will do business there and make a prophet. And then he said this, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. By the way, verse 13 that I just read to you is a great approach and understanding of investment debt. You need to understand there is a risk and you have no guarantee that you're going to turn a profit. And then verse 15, he said, what you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. See, folks, we have no guarantee that tomorrow we'll even have our jobs, right? We have no guarantee that we're going to even be alive. We have no guarantee of our health. Debt makes deals that tomorrow may or may not ever be able to pay. You need to keep that in mind when you're considering debt because debt always presumes we're going to be around to pay it off in the future. And what if you are not around to pay the debt? What's your family going to do if you are underinsured and you got positive? By the way, 
I don't sell insurance. I'll, every working man and woman in this room, you need to get some life insurance if you don't have it. Please hear this, Pastor. Get you some life insurance that will pay for your funeral and that will take a little pressure off of your children. Amen. It's something to consider. Here's the eighth thing I want to say about saying no to debt. Debt can reveal character flaws. Now, this was not easy to talk about, and it'll be hard for some of us to hear, but I feel like I need to talk about it anyway. Some debt is caused by accident, right? Some debt's caused by emergencies out of our control. Some debt is called by, caused by medical expenses that we can't control. Come on, all of us understand those things are things that we did not create on our own. But hear me, not most debt, right? Most of us are in deep debt if we are because we simply buy too much stuff. Come on. When somebody's in deep in debt, sooner or later, you know what you got to do? You got to look in the mirror and you got to go, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? Because most debt is a symptom of a deeper problem. When we get down to the deeper problems, hear me, they're almost always character related. That's why when somebody files bankruptcy, guess what? They don't make a Facebook post about it. Right? Come on, nobody's celebrating. Woohoo! I filed bankruptcy today. And then, oh, you get all the heart emojis and the likes. Congratulations! How long have you been in debt? How long? No, that doesn't happen, right? <laughs> you know, it doesn't happen. It reminds me of a scene from The Office with Michael Scott. He's in a financial jam, and they tell him he needs to declare bankruptcy. And he swings open the door to his office, and he steps out, and he goes, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> and Oscar, the accountant, goes, Michael, that's not how it works. <laughs> See, it's not that easy, folks. Oftentimes, it reveals a character flaw in us. They see, that's why we feel shame. Because we know that there's something that uh, I kind of got myself in this, right? Let me quickly tell you some character flaws that excessive death will sometimes reveal. Number one, I talked about it last week briefly, a lack of contentment. Everybody say contentment. See, some of us have never mastered the discipline of contentment. We've never learned that magical word that could go a long way in helping you stay out of debt. Enough. No. It is enough. Look what 1 Timothy 6 said. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. And then he really lowers the boom, and he tells us what contentment is. If you have food and clothing, be content with that. Now, how many of you know in 2023 in America, how many of you are honest enough to answer, I'm not real content with just food and clothes? Come on, are there any honest people with the Holy Ghost out there today? Come on. We're not real content with that, right? We just want just a little bit more. See, it's not easy to say what I have is enough. I can get along without that. This is good enough. If you don't learn contentment, folks, you are destined to a life of indebtedness and bondage. Here's another character flaw that excessive debt can reveal, a lack of patience, right? Come on, some of us have a problem with patience. What we want might be a good thing. It's just we want it right now. We don't have to work our budget and our savings plan and wait a few months or a year and then get it. I love the furniture companies that say, no interest for a year, right? 
Hey, it's nice to buy something with no interest, but what if you can't afford the stuff you're buying? Man, you buy this living room suit. It's only 10 grand, but you don't have to pay any interest. We're making our profit off of you. And you know what? I don't know what the statistics are. It's overwhelming, staggering the number of people that don't pay off the stuff the first year. And then they get slammed with interest after the no interest is over with. See, folks, let's just be honest. We lack no power. Sometimes we lack the discipline to say, I've got a plan. I've got to stick to it. The discipline to say, I'm not willing to enslave myself to this. I've just got to be patient. I told the story. It wasn't in my notes. I told it in the first service. I'll tell it again now. It might help somebody. Uh, I've driven a lot of used cars in my lifetime, and I've bought a few new vehicles, which now I've learned it's really not wise to buy a new car if you don't have to. You're way better off to buy a used car. Amen. Again, I'm, I'm just telling you my years of experience. Amen. I've learned that. But I've driven, I used to drive, and I've driven, I think I have four Hondas. I love Hondas. They're great cars. I've always had good luck with my Hondas. Amen. But I have one Honda that I bought off of a little old lady. And it's not a joke. This is like the per. I bought this Honda off of this little old lady. And man, it was old. I could have bought antique tags for the car. But I had too much pride to put an antique tag on my car. But I had this old Honda, and there was a guy in the church. This was years ago, and he used to tease me about my car. It was, it was good nature. He said, man, pastor, I really wish my pastor drove a better car than that. And I got to get it kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. My pride just kind of like, mm, that hurt. But me and my hoopty Honda, here we go. And I'll never forget, and he used to tease me about it a little bit, and I, I thought, and, and the truth is, I could have afforded a car payment, but I didn't want to spend my money that way. We had other things, the car was running fine, but I'll never forget one night, I got a knock on my door, and nobody had called and said they were coming over, and I went to open the door, and there was that guy standing there, and my first thought was, well, he didn't call, maybe something wrong. He said, Pastor, I need to speak to you outside, and I walked out, and we walked and said, I want to say, I almost said his name. And, and I said, what's wrong? He said, oh, nothing's wrong. And he pulled out some keys. He said, I, I brought you a gift. I said, what? And I looked in the driveway, and there was this beautiful used car. It was way better than the one I had. And he said, I came into a little money, and I just wanted to bless you. And I bought you this car. It's yours. Here's the keys, and here's the title. That's never happened before, and it's never happened since. Amen? By the way, I'm open to a second blessing. And if I'm going to be specific, I'd really like a truck this time. Amen? You have not because you have not, right? But I couldn't believe it. And you know what I did? I took that Honda, and I gave it to somebody else that needed a car. And my point is, sometimes you just need to be patient. And give God a chance to work a blessing in your life. See, we don't talk about this a lot. We just sometimes get ahead of God. What if God right now is working some little miracle on your behalf? Maybe, and maybe it's not even something you need. Maybe it's just something you want. And God wants to give it to you. Instead of you going into debt for it. Just be patient. Keep waiting. And then the third thing that it reveals, come on up praise team. Sometimes it reveals a lack of trust. A lack of trust. Going into debt quickly and repeatedly 
may reveal we really don't trust God to provide for us, so we get ahead of his plan, and we go into debt when God may have had something else in the works. Last point about saying no to debt. Unpaid debt hurts your Christian witness. Now, if you're not a Christian, this point doesn't apply to you. All right? <laughs> if you're not a Christian, this may not apply to you. But hear me. Unpaid debt hurts your Christian witness. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm just telling you the truth. One of the quickest ways to lose your credibility as a Christian is to not pay your bills. That's all right. I knew it'd be quiet. That's okay. It's to not pay your bills. Folks, if you're a believer, you ought to live, you ought to strive to live above reproach. I think every believer ought to clap their hands for that one. Amen. Here's a novel thought. We ought to be men and women of our word. <laughs> if you borrow money from somebody and you don't pay it back because they're a Christian or because they have more money than you are, you are wrong. You might say, oh, that never happened. Oh, yeah, it's happened. It's happened in this church before. I ain't going to say who. They've been gone a long time. I hope they make it to heaven. Amen. But there was a guy who borrowed some money from somebody else in the church. I caught wind of it because he hadn't paid it back. So I went to him. And by the way, it was not Carl. I said, Carl, why haven't you paid Eddie back the money that you borrowed from him? You know what his response was? I'm not making this up. He makes a lot more money than I do. He doesn't need it. There's like 15 things wrong with that statement. I was like, are you kidding me? And of course, I, I proceeded to give him a little pastoral advice. Come on, folks. You don't do that when you're a believer. Amen? You don't do that. Well, he's got more money than I do. Who cares if he's got more money than you do? You barred. You made a commitment as Christians. Come on. We're supposed to keep our word. And if you're in a bad season, you know what? You walk up to him, you say, Marty, I know I owe you $500. I'm in a jam right now. I'm going to give you $1 a month till Jesus comes. Now, you know what? He might not be thrilled with it, but don't do the ditch and dodge. Oh, there, oh, there she is. Oh, there's Carl. I still owe him $200. Don't do that. Because you know what you might do? Hey, man, I appreciate you telling me that. You know what? I didn't know you were in such a bad time. Your debt is forgiven. Let me just be a blessing to you. Folks, that happens all the time. I've done it so many times for people that I've helped out personally. Like, you know what? God bless you. Don't worry about it. Thanks for looking me in the eye. Thanks for being a man of honor. Thanks for not doing the ditch and dodge on me at church. Amen? Come on, I'm talking about Christians now. And let me give you one more piece of advice. If you loan people money, as soon as it leaves your hand, consider it a gift and not a loan. What are you talking about, Pastor? You need to be able to sleep at night, throw your little black book away. Kevin owes me $422. He last paid me $10 on a Rodney O'Meara and Carlo. No, 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 no. Who's got time for that? Yeah, well, well. And if you can't afford to lose it, don't loan it. Come on, you ain't, a, you ain't an ATM. You ain't got to explain to nobody. 
No still means no. Nope, sorry, I can't help you. But if you do, let it be. And then when you get it back, it's a gift. Well, thank you, Lord. I really didn't know if I was going to see that money. But thank you. Guess what, folks? You're going to sleep a whole lot better at night. Not worrying about who owes you what. Let's all stand. Well, that was worth the price of admission right there. Amen. Last thing on this point, Psalm 37. You say, Pastor, is it really important to pay my debts back if I'm a believer? Yeah, look what the Bible says. The wicked borrow and do not repay. But the righteous give generously. Folks, it's so important for us not to give up our freedom willingly. And money, and, and by the way, I, I didn't really touch on this song, but you know what? One of the blessings, we're so blessed in America that one of the burdens is our blessings. We've got access to so much, and so many of those things become a burden to us because of our ability to get more and have more. And next thing you know, man, it just spirals out of control. Somebody told me after first service, they said, guess what was the first thing that I found on my first day of college? He said, I got, I got credit card applications. I mean, people lined up in the student center and like, here, let me give you this credit card. Let me give you this credit card. And he said, it took me years to pay off that credit card that I got when I was in college. Folks, we ought to be wise, amen? I'm going to pray for you right now. No matter where you are in this death spectrum, maybe, maybe you've got a good handle on this. God bless you. I'm going to pray for God to multiply your resources so you can be a kingdom giver and God can bless you to bless other people. Amen. But maybe you're struggling with this right now and, and you're here and you're part of this series. I want to give you hope. And by the way, I'm also going to give you a shot of realism. Are you ready? If it took you years to get in a mess, you ain't going to snap your fingers and get out of it overnight. Start digging. Start doing the hard work and let God bless you. Can we pray together? Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, you paid a great price on the cross. And it wasn't just so I could be saved. It was so I could live victorious. It wasn't just to break the addictions of alcohol and drugs in my life. It was also so I would not be enslaved to lenders and creditors and people that are going to hound me every moment of my life. God, I pray right now for those that might be struggling financially. Lord, I pray that they would begin to implement the, the things I'm going to share next week, the steps to take to dig out of debt so that they can become on the path to financial freedom. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to not live like the world wants us to live, but help us to live kingdom lives. Help us, Lord, not to adopt the customs of this world or the mindset of this world. Help us, Lord, to know when to say enough is enough. Help us, God, to live within our means so that we could live for the glory of God. And I thank you for the men and women in this room. And God, we just want to stop right now and say thank you for every good and perfect gift. Thank you, God, that I'm, I, I'm, I'm blessed enough to live in the richest country on the face of the earth. Thank you, God, that we can work and we can provide for our families. We're so grateful and we're so blessed. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.